0: Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 8. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of day and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. I'm going to take advantage of the recent holiday we just celebrated yesterday, which was July 4th, and we celebrate the signing on July 4th, 1776, of the Declaration of Independence. I'm going to take advantage of that holiday, and the title of this message is The Declaration of Dependence. Our Declaration of Dependence, taken from Proverbs 3, this very familiar piece of Scripture Leaning not on our own understanding, but in our, all our ways, acknowledging Him. Our declaration of dependence. Would you pray with me, Lord? I love you and I thank you, God, for every person that is here, your precious people, your bride, which you've purchased with your blood. Help us to seek you, to desire you, to, to consult you before we consult anyone. Give us utter and complete dependence and trust and faith in you, not in a government, not in a man. Not in any kind of institution, but help us to have utter trust and dependence upon you, God. Let us gladly declare that we are weak, but you are strong. And that when we find our weakness in your strength, then we truly are found strong. Help us here today, God, to cast our eyes upon you and nothing else. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. When armed conflict between bands of American colonists and British soldiers began... In April 1775, the Americans were ostensibly fighting only for their rights as subject of the British crown. If you recall, there were various efforts by the British Empire to impose particular tax. And if you recall from history, there is no taxation without representation. Anybody remember that from history class? And they were being they're imposing tyranny upon the American colonists and the American settlers had had enough of it. By the following summer, with the Revolutionary War in full swing, the movement for independence from Britain had grown, and delegates of the Continental Congress were faced with a vote on the issue. In mid-June 1776, a five-man committee, including Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, and Benjamin Franklin, were tasked with drafting a formal statement of the colony's intentions the congress formally adopted the declaration of independence written largely by jefferson in philadelphia on july 4th 1776 a holiday a date that we just celebrated yesterday and we're all very familiar the probably the most familiar sentence or passage in the declaration of independence penned by thomas jefferson reads like this We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm very thankful for this document. I'm very thankful that we celebrated July 4th yesterday. I'm very thankful that you and I live in a free country. That we live in a country that is founded upon these very principles. That we are given rights by God and not by government. And government is there to preserve the rights that God has given to us. I so appreciate living in this country and I thank God for it. We're so fortunate to live here. And we, we have a very individualistic society or culture that we live in. We love freedom, don't we? We absolutely love freedom. I mean, I, I met, uh, we, we saw Sister Hillary Cartwright yesterday at, at Walmart, and we were talking to her for a little while, and she goes, uh, uh, Stephen, who's, he's from Britain, he's from the UK, he goes, he calls that Rebellion Day. He's, he's from Britain. He, from his perspective, it's Rebellion Day. He, he's being funny about it. He's an American citizen. But we rebelled, we rebelled against our mother country of Britain and we declared our dependence and we did not look back from there and we value all of those things that we were established upon and that's wonderful and that is great. But unlike the unjust rule of the British Empire, we are called to live under the authority and the governance of God in our lives as Christians and as citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world. He is not like the tyrant who was the king of Britain in that day, who was thirsty for power at the expense of the people. You serve a father. You serve a good shepherd who has laid his life down for his sheep. Jesus came and lived amongst us as a high priest come down to earth who was the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. And He came and He died for you so that you could be purchased and redeemed from sin and from hell and from death and that you could be translated into the kingdom of His Son, the kingdom of life. And now He's there to instruct us and to guide us and to provide for us and to encourage us and to correct us because you are God's child. You are God's child. You do not serve A tyrannical God. You do not serve an arrogant, haughty, self-seeking God. God is... Let me add this. God is first for God. God is for His glory first and foremost. But we are privileged to be a part of increasing his glory through our lives. And when we give our lives and lay our lives down for the glory of God, let me tell you, when you are living in a place where you're giving most glory to God in your life, that's the same place where you're receiving most benefit from God, most blessing from God. When you are under the authority and the leadership and guidance and governance of God almighty, who loves you, who is a shepherd, who is a father, and you're seeking his glory, you're seeking his praise, it is in that very state that you're in the most blessed state, that you're in the most progressive state, that you're in the most advanced state that you could find yourself in. The Father that we serve, the God of this universe, he holds the past, the present, and the future in his hands. He is not constrained by time. He already exists in the future. He's the God who was and is and is to come. The earth is His footstool. footstool, And heaven is His throne. We serve a mighty, large, great, and holy and righteous God. And we serve a loving God who loves you and has your best interest in mind. I want you to know today, God's ways are always best. God's ways are always best. You will never be ashamed and you will never regret entrusting yourself with all your heart into his governance and leadership in your life. People will let you down. Your spouse will let you down. Your pastor will let you down. Has anyone ever been let down by Jesus Christ? No one's ever been let down by the God who loves and saves and redeems. The word dependent means decided or controlled by something else. It's needing someone or something else for support, help. It's it's like a, a, a baby who's inside the stomach of a mother. When Kimmy went through her three pregnancies, you know, that umbilical cord which is formed on the inside of the uterus it is connected into the baby and it brings sustenance and life. And that baby cannot live, to a, to a particular degree, cannot live outside the womb of that mother. That, that baby is utterly dependent upon all the sustenance, all the strength, all the nutrients that comes through that umbilical cord, all that life that flows from the mother into the baby. And even when a baby is born, they're absolutely dependent upon the parents, aren't they? And to be dependent, it is to be decided or controlled by something else. Needing someone or something else for support or to survive. And you see all around us, we see pictures and illustrations of dependence, don't we? Right now, every single one of you are exhibiting great dependence and trust. All of you are sitting in a chair right now that you have no fear of collapsing under you. All of you walked into this building with absolute trust and dependence on the people who built this, even though you've never met them. You drive 80 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour down the highway, going past other people, trusting that they're not going to swerve and hit you. You exhibit an immense amount. All the world exhibits an immense amount of trust and dependence upon other people, upon nature, and the way that things function in earth. Our very bodies are dependent upon sustenance, upon food, upon water. We can't survive without it. I I read this. This is an anonymous quote that I found, but this is brilliant. Man, despite his artistic pretensions... His sophistication and many accomplishments owes the fact of his existence to a six-inch layer of topsoil and the fact that it rains. Did you hear that? You owe your existence to the fact that there exists a six-inch layer of topsoil and the fact that it rains. That is, that vegetation can grow And little animals can eat this vegetation, this vegetation which by photosynthesis from the sun causes everything to grow. And then in this ecosystem that we see in nature, uh, things eat one another and we we gain nutrients and energy from the sun, which provides nutrients and energy to the plants and to all the animal life. Everything is sustained. Everything is sustained and dependent upon something else. And as a matter of fact, if you go to a particular ecosystem and you remove one of those elements of of dependence in that ecosystem, that is you removed all the vegetation, everything else would die. Or if you blotted out the sun from a a portion of of earth, everything would die. Because there is utter dependence upon everything we see in nature. Every day you depend and trust upon people. People. People are trusting right now in planes as they fly uh, 1,000 miles an hour, 30,000 feet up in the air. They are trusting and depending upon a lot of things that could possibly go wrong. They entrust themselves to the pilot. They entrust themselves to those who have created these wonderful machines that we drive and fly in. We entrust ourselves... To the the person who built this building, you're entrusting yourself, as I said, to the chair you're sitting in right now. Sadly, some people are utterly dependent upon substances like drugs or alcohol or even caffeine to a lesser degree. People find dependence upon food. They can't manage without particular food, without sugar, without some sort of substance, without nicotine, drugs, or alcohol, whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. People are dependent. They're utterly dependent upon something else. Neil T. Anderson said, The essence of temptation is the invitation to live independently of God. Listen closely. The essence of temptation is the invitation... To live independently of God. And isn't that what happened in Genesis chapter 3? What did the serpent say? He not only enticed Adam and Eve with the fruit that looked good to the eyes, but he also made them to question the source and authority that was over them, which was God. Did God really say? Can you really trust what God has said? Look at this fruit. It's good. It's not going to hurt you. And the serpent was tempting them, not just to disobey, which was not what they did, not just to sin, but in essence, to live independent of God's ways, which are always best for you and I. The essence of all temptation is the invitation to live independent of God. That is the temptation you face every single day, isn't it? Every single day when you face something in life, you are you have a decision to make. Will I trust God or entrust myself or entrust myself to myself or some other thing and not trust God first. There's a story that's gone around. I believe it's true. I don't know if it's anecdotal. I've heard Ravi Zacharias uh, quote it. I found it on the internet. But Muhammad Ali, he was traveling in an airplane. We all know who Man- Muhammad Ali was. The greatest boxer. One of the greatest boxers to, to ever uh, box. Back in the 60s and 70s. He, to go- he won a gold medal in the Olympics. He, he was full of himself, but he, he, had, he had the ability to back up. A lot of things that he said. But he was traveling in an airplane, which began to experience moderate turbulence. And the captain of the airplane instructed everybody to put on their seatbelts. Well, everyone complied except for Muhammad Ali. And a stewardess came up up and said, sir, you've got to put on your seatbelt. And in Muhammad Ali fashion and form, he responded by saying, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess, the stewardess replied, Superman don't need no airplane either. This I think illustrates the spirit of the world and age which we live in. I got this. I'm in control of my life. I'm independent. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to make my way, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm in charge. I'm a self-made man and woman, and I will do whatever I please. That is the spirit of the age. That's the spirit of rebellion. You see that on our streets this very moment, don't you? You see that. You see this in households with rebellious teenagers. You see this. All across society. This is why we have uh, uh, penitentiaries full of criminals and lawbreakers. I'm going to do what I want to do. This is why we have broken homes. This is why we have divorce. This is why we have all kinds of turmoil. Because I am the king of my own life. I will do what I please. And when you seek to do that, you will realize... You're 30,000 feet up in the air, and you cannot sustain your own self. You will come plummeting down. You will be abased. He who exalts himself. I want to read Proverbs 3, 1 through 8, in this new Bible translation I found. It's called the My Way Bible translation. You ever heard of it? I made it up. I retranslated, you didn't know I was a scholar. I retranslated Proverbs 3, 1 through 8. This is what it looks like for the person who puts their fist up to God and says, I don't need you. My way. I'm independent. I'm the king of my life. All right? So we read Proverbs 3, 1 through 8. I'm going to read it in the my way translation. My son. Do not remember my law, but let your heart forget my commands. For shortened days and short life and turmoil they will add to you. Let mercy and truth forsake you. Loose them from around your neck. Erase them on the tablet of your heart. And so lose favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in yourself with all your heart and lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, never acknowledge God and you shall never have your paths directed. Be wise in your own eyes. Fear not the Lord and embrace evil. It will be disease to your flesh and weakness to your bones." I don't like the "my way" translation. Do you? And whether if people know it or not, that's the very life that they are living, and they're on their way to destruction, and they're too deceived by sin and their, and self and by the, by Satan and the God of this age that they don't realize they're spiraling out of control, and that there is destruction at the end of the path that they had set for themselves. And it is of utmost importance for those of us who are Christians to all the more entrust ourselves to the good care of Jesus Christ. Listen, all of us have room for greater dependence upon God. You can't be saved except that you trust in God. You can't be a child of God except that you're dependent upon as the Father. But all of us, myself included, I can grow in greater dependence and trust in God. I can Because there are times that I don't respond in faith. There are times that I respond in my own strength and my own intellect. And it may be inconsequential to some people, but to God it means a lot. Do I consult God or do I consult Google first? Do I consult a person before I consult Jesus? And so that is the Lord's desire for us. The very mark of faith is total dependence on God. When we say that we have faith in God, it means I am dependent, utterly dependent upon God. To say that I have faith, I place my faith in Christ and I'm saved, it's not just you believe. You are in a place of utter dependence upon God. Your very life, your very very sustenance, your very everything is utterly dependent upon the God that you serve. That's what it means to put your faith in Jesus Christ. It means to trust Him, to cling in, to completely rely upon Him for everything, to abide in Him. He is the vine, we are the branches. The branches can do nothing except by the life-sustaining sap that comes from the vine into the branches. And it's the branches that produce the fruit, but you cannot produce fruit except that you're abiding in the vine, utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ, who is the vine, the father, the vine dresser. We must be absolute, utterly dependent with our whole being, both spiritual and natural. I am dependent on God for my justification. For my righteousness, for my salvation, for my sanctification. I'm dependent upon God for my temporal needs. I'm dependent upon God to help me to parent well, to be a better father. Everything that I do in life, both spiritual and natural, must be with a pulse on the heart of God as I go forward. With my heart, I mean with my ear close to the heart of God saying, what do you say on this matter, God? How should I love my child? How should I instruct my children? How should I lead this church as their pastor? How should I love my wife? I cannot have answers to these questions in myself. I cannot be self-sustaining and expect a good result. And so, it is the desire of the Lord and my greatest desire to every single day when I wake up from bed is to have a declaration of dependence. God, I need you today. I, it, I, I am utterly dependent upon you. It's by your grace and your mercy that I didn't stop breathing while I was still asleep. It's by your grace and mercy and, and how that you have caused everything to go into, into order that I'm even alive. You sustain all of us. Your rain falls on the just and the unjust. You sustain all of life. You have placed all these things in order in life, and you sustain all of us. God, I need you today. I can't drive from my house to my office without you. I I can't take a phone call and and help somebody and consult somebody. I I can't do it without you. I have to have you. Everything we do must be spirit-led. In the last five weeks, we just talked about being people of the Spirit, that we must be people who are receptive and sensitive to what the voice of the Lord would say. To be a Spirit-led person is to be a person who's dependent upon God and not ourselves. Not my own intuitions, not my own strength, not my own smarts, not my own resources, but dependent upon God and everything that He has at His right hand. Even Jesus was totally dependent upon the Father, wasn't He? He exhibited for us how we ought to live. Total dependence upon the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a few questions here. This is the dependency test. Okay? Now, oftentimes, we can draw from our interactions with people to delineate the attitude and condition of our hearts overall. How you are with people, how you treat people, how you respond to people, how you interact with people will often indicate a particular attitude or spirit of your heart. And so, so taking that, let me, let me just ask you a few questions, okay? A few questions. Answer this for yourself. Do you receive good suggestions and ideas from others or are your ideas the only good ones? Do you think your way is the best way and you are always critical of others. Are you the only one who can do things right? It, you ever heard growing up, man, you try to do something for your dad? No, this wasn't for me. This is not my, not my dad. But there are some people who grew up with a father, nothing's ever right, a mother, nothing's ever right. And you, you've heard it said if you want something done right, you do it yourself. You know, and that's kind of the the, the position a lot of people take. Nobody can do it right. Only I can. Do Do you ever ask the opinion of someone wiser than you on a tough decision? Do you ever think you're wrong? Do you ever apologize if you are wrong? Do you have a lofty opinion of yourself amongst others? And here's my point. And I'm talking about relationships with people and your interactions with people. But do you humble yourself enough to acknowledge that there are other people who know more than you in life and that you can seek the advice of others and realize I am, do not have all the answers in myself? Even a non-Christian is wise enough to, to implement some of these things, isn't it? But I'm drawing from this and taking the principle that oftentimes our interactions with people, it is often an indicator of the attitude of our spirit and heart. And bring that to your relationship with God. Bring that to the way that you approach the Lord. Is there a humility there? You know why the, the poor hurt him gladly? Because they didn't have riches and esteem and nobility and accolades to trust in. They had nothing to trust in. They had nothing to lose. And they realized he is life. He's offering everything that we need in this world. And the fact of the matter is, we're going we're to look here at Proverbs 3. Uh, one through eight and and a little more um, and, and kind of expound upon these verses and draw them and apply them to our lives. But the fact of the matter is every single one of you will endeavor some sort of hardship in life. It's not will you, but it's when you do encounter some sort of hardship in life, things will happen in your life that you cannot prevent and will be difficult. And none of you are strong enough to face those difficulties in your own strength. You're not strong enough to face an average day in your own strength. So it's either, will I trust myself or will I trust God? And and, and I would say this, the world, we live in a world in which dependence on a quote-unquote mythical being in the sky is seen as a crutch. To say that you're a Christian and you trust in God and that you trust in the Word of God people would say that is weak. You're using that as a crutch. You're using that to kind of gloss over real issues in life and you're just leaning on, as a weak little beggarly person, you're leaning on this made-up God that you've made for yourself to make yourself feel better. This is what a lot of people would say, especially from an atheistic or humanistic point of view. It's seen as a way to run from your problems and run from a reality. But the truth is, the truth is that Stephen is weak. Stephen does need a crutch. I am broken and I need healing. I am a dummy and I need God's wisdom and smarts. I cannot do it in my own strength and power and might. And it is the humble that will receive grace from God. If you will be humble enough to admit I am weak, I am nothing, I am broken, I do have hangups, I do have pride, I realize I can't do it in my own strength and power and might. It's in that moment that when we are weak, then we are what? We are strong. We are strong. So you gladly tell the world, yes, I have a crutch and that crutch is Jesus that crutch is hewn from the cross of Jesus Christ. And without him, I am nothing. True men and women, the greatest people on earth, are people who have declared their weakness and their lack of their own righteousness and they've trusted in the only one who is righteous, which is Jesus Christ. And it's through that admittance, through that humility, that true strength comes into your life through dependence upon him. So look here at Proverbs Chapter 3, verse 1. I want to run through this quickly, and I'll be done. But I want to draw a few, few points from what we have here, which is so rich, and I'll do my best to be succinct about it. But verses 1 through 4. Solomon, he's writing these words of wisdom which all of Proverbs is concerning wisdom, it's wisdom literature, he's writing these words of wisdom to his son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam. And what is very sad is that both at the end and when we see the end of these two men's lives, both Solomon and Rehoboam did not take this advice. Solomon did not take his own advice and uh, and Rehoboam, he did not take his father's advice. And he was not a righteous king when he ruled over the people of God. But he writes here, my son, do not forget my law. Now, this is Solomon writing to Rehoboam, but we're going to make the parallel that this is also God speaking to his children. My son. Notice the affection there. My best intentions for you are in mine. Everything I'm going to say to you, because I love you, I'm your father, my son. It's, it's not some it's, stranger. It's, it's not some stranger. It's not some foreigner. It's not somebody outside of the covenant of God. My son, my daughter, listen to what I have to say to you because it's full of affection and love and your best interest in mine. Do not forget my law. And the law here just represents doctrine or teaching, the statutes of God, everything that God has intended to preserve his people and bring himself Glory. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The reason we come here on a daily basis, or on a weekly basis, the reason we come together to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, the reason you read your Bible every day, the reason you seek the Lord in prayer, is because you can, without those things, without a communion with the Lord and with God's people, you can drift away. You can forget the law. You can forget what was there and initiated for you, for your best interest. You can forget and drift away by simple neglect. And later on in in, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, he says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Hebrews is full of warning saying, heed, take heed, look out for sin, look out for the devil, look out. For the world, look out for all these things that are trying to destroy your life, your eternal soul. Do not neglect this great salvation that you have experienced. Do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. In the same way that the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was this rectangular box, and over it were some cherubim, and in the middle was the mercy seat. This is where God's presence would manifest in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle. But within this ark, it was this big, this rectangular box. In this ark, we learn that it has certain contents. In In this ark, there is the manna that fell from heaven. There is Aaron's rod which budded. And then there is the Ten Commandments written on stone. And in the same way that the ark received and encapsulated and holds these Ten Commandments, which represented the greater law, so should our hearts encapsulate and keep the commands of the Lord because we love the Lord, because we, we value His presence. We want His favor upon our lives. And so we la- lovingly host the commands of the Lord in our lives and allow ourselves to be directed and dictated by those things in the same way that they are House those 10 commandments. So we should house the teachings of Christ in our lives from the inside out. Your heart, your heart, not just an outward conformity, but let your heart be convinced. Let your heart be arrested by the commands of the Lord for a length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Listen, we don't serve God for rewards. But I'm so thankful he does reward us for obedience. There's a lot of motivators in life, and there are multiple motivators in our Christian life. There is a motivation in serving the God serving God that comes from a place of a fear for God, realizing that he has the power of life and death over our lives and that hell is real. I don't know about you, but I'm afraid of hell. I don't want to go to hell. And I'm fearful of God's judgment. And so, so I, I do not want to be, be found in, in the hands of an almighty God outside the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and then he does give us rewards because that does motivate us as well. Rewards motivate us as well. That's the reason we have them. But the greatest motivator is love for Jesus Christ, isn't it? Love for him. That should trump all those things and add to it. So he says, length of days and long life. You know what length of days and long life means? That you will be useful. Your life will have a usefulness in life. Let me ask you this. Is your life useful in the hands of God? The degree of your usefulness is dependent upon the degree of your dependence. Now, I'm not saying this is works-based. I'm not saying it depends upon you. All I'm saying is, God wants a willful vessel in His hands that He can work with, that He can mold, that He can use. And all of us are at different degrees of usefulness. It's the truth. And all of us are called to different tasks and callings and have different gifts and we're used in different ways. But I want to be the most useful that I can possibly be in God's kingdom. How about you? And so let me be utterly dependent and, con- and let my life be contingent upon trust and obedience in what He has to say for me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 15. If we love the Lord... That's my motivation. Then I will keep his commands. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Verse 3. Let not mercy. That in, in the Hebrew, it oftentimes is translated loving kindness or compassion. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Show mercy to all. You've experienced mercy. Show mercy to all. Listen, we live in a hurting world, don't we? We live in a world where people are looking for light. They're looking for love. They're they're looking for grace and mercy. And the church must be the vehicle that dispenses this mercy. The world is, is like a ravaging wolf that just devours people. And the church must be people who are vehicles of mercy. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. That is, hold fast to truth and be one who speaks truth to all. We possess something that no one else possesses. We possess the truth, the truth, the authoritative, objective truth of the Word of God and manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. And without that, everyone is going in every which direction. Everyone is going their own way. Everyone like sheep has gone astray. And unless we get on the path of the Word of God, there is no truth. If you recall several weeks ago, I talked about The secular trinity, the world's trinity, that is relativism, secularism, and individualism. And what this world needs more than anything is not another opinion. How many of you got an opinion? I've got an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion. But your opinion cannot change a heart. What people need to hear is the truth of Jesus Christ as I make myself dependent upon the truth and conform myself to the truth, so then I am a seeker of truth, I'm a bearer of truth, that is, I take it wherever I go and it transforms my life and I am a proclaimer of truth. The truth of Jesus Christ. What was one of the last words that Pilate said to Jesus? What is truth? And the answer was, look at the man standing right in front of you full of truth and grace. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Let them be near you and let, you be so, let yourself be so identified with these aspects that it becomes a part of you. It adorns your very life. The beauty of your life is the fruit of Jesus Christ as you're fully dependent upon the Lord. Let them be bound around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. That is from the inside out. Let the divine influence Of your love for God from the inside out, let it then manifest itself in adoring itself around your neck so that all people can see. And it influences everything that you do, that you say, and the decisions that you make. And so, here's the reward. Here's the reaping. Okay. Likewise, as in verse 1, that is what you sow. In verse 2, here's what you reap. Verse 3, that's what you sow. Verse 4, here's what you reap. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. You know what that word favor means? Find grace. Find grace and high esteem in the sight of God and man. The name of this church, Grace River Chapel. Grace will always go to the lowest place, to the humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You can only find favor with God, not by doing more good works or trying to please him with your own righteousness. It's through the humility of your own life, consecrated to God, given over to him. His favor and his grace can fall upon you in the sight of God and man. Jesus grew in favor with God and man. And as you live your life in Christ, not only will you find favor with God... And though, yes, men may hate hate you because of your love for Christ, you will also find favor with people because God will give you favor with people and the loveliness of Christ in you will be attractive to people. We shouldn't be so bold that we chase people away with our supposed boldness for Christ when it's really just ugliness. The loveliness of Christ, the unashamed proclamation of truth seasoned with grace, motivated by love, should be attractive to the person who is broken, who needs healing in their life, who is open to receiving truth. You will be hated. You will be despised. You will be persecuted. But you also, by the same token, you will find favor and esteem, not with just God, but also with men when you live this out. G.K. Chesterton said, I'm going to try to hurry up, God is like the sun. You cannot look at it. Anybody ever try to look directly at the sun? Don't do it. How many of you remember that eclipse that we had not too long ago? The the eclipse that came over the sun? You have to have special glasses because if you don't put on these special glasses and you look directly at the sun, it can harm your eyes. No one can look upon God and not die. And God is like the sun. You cannot look at it, but without it, you cannot look at anything else. The Son provides vision for everything else. And it's by Him the standard of truth which comes from the Word of God that's for your best interest, for the glory of God. It is what we need, the standard that we need in our life. And we will reap the consequences or the reward from obedience. Look here at verse 5. Let me finish up here. Trust in the Lord. Here's where we get to the real bulk of our subject matter. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. That is, be dependent upon him. Be absolutely dependent. This word trust, it means to take refuge in, to be confident in, with all your heart. How many of you remember when the, the lawyer came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And what did Jesus say? Jesus didn't come up with this commandment all of his own. You know that Jesus quoted, the, quoted scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 6 when this man asked him what is the greatest commandment? Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Loving God didn't just apply in the New Testament, it applied in the Old Testament as well. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and you will not disobey God. You will not walk away from Him. Trust in Him with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And that word lean just simply means trust. We're all leaning on something. You're all dependent upon something. And the atheist and humanist wants to think that they're self-reliant, but they're leaning on something. They're relying upon something. I'd rather be leaning and relying not on my own understanding, but on God's understanding and His ways and His wisdom. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. That is, recognize Him, know Him, and He shall direct your paths. That is, He shall guide you, just as in Psalms 23, the Good Shepherd leading the sheep. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He shall direct your paths. So often we see people, they're trusting in a job, they're trusting in money, they're trusting in their possessions, they're trusting in a position, they're trusting in people, they're trusting in the government, they're trusting in their friends or their pastor or a mentor, they're trusting in their position in life, and their achievements in life and in, in what they've accomplished, they're trusting in their own wisdom and their own understanding and their own discernment. And in all those ways of trusting those things outside of God... As I read in the My Way translation, your path shall never be directed. Your path shall never be directed. But if we will acknowledge him, that is, and recognize him, know him, fall to our knees before leaping to our feet, our paths will be directed. Steve, come help me, please. Here's what C.H. Spurgeon said He said, The way to grow strong in Christ is to become weak in yourself. God pours no power into man's heart till man's power is all poured out. The Christian's life is one of daily dependence on the grace and strength of God. Look at verses 7 and 8. I end right here. Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Paul references this very verse, uh, verse 7 in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, where he says, Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. It doesn't mean that you have a lousy opinion of yourself, it means that you have an appropriate opinion of yourself. That you don't look down on yourself, but also you do not put yourself on a pedestal where you do not belong. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. Revere Him. Hold Him holy. Esteem the Lord. And as we fear the Lord, it will always ensure that we depart from sin. Won't you stand with me? And the reaping of that is, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. We're all familiar with John chapter 10 where Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. And an Indian Christian missionary named said, Singh He writes this. It is possible for sheep to wander away from the fold and the shepherd and find in the jungle good pasturage but they are all the time in danger of being torn to pieces by wild beasts, which will indeed be their fate in the end. But those who abide in the fold with the shepherd, though they may appear to be sick and feeble, are certainly free from danger and in the shepherd's care." Sin is pleasurable for a little while, isn't it? People can sustain themselves for a little while. It would appear that the evil are prosperous, and the the Lord never judges them. The psalmist laments in multiple psalms. But you reap what you sow, and where you may be able to find pasture on your own, you are removing yourself from the governance, from the leadership, from the care of the good shepherd. And you will be torn to bits. But oh, even though you're lame and you're broken, you will be okay as long as you're in the presence of the good shepherd. Amen? As long as you're in his presence, absolutely dependent upon him, you declare your weakness, you declare your inadequacy, and in declaring your weakness, you become strong.